If you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 6. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, because it's going to come up on the screen. Um, just want to say thank you to so many of you for just the gift you gave us last Sunday. That was completely out of the blue. We were not expecting that. So thank you so much. That was so kind. And your comments and cards were amazing. Sarah, as you can tell, is not here this week. She's in the UK at a conference. Um, <coughs> but yeah, it kind of blew us away. So we really appreciate it so much. I, the words feel a little bit not sufficient, but I just want to say thank you so much. Okay, final week of the series in Galatians. Uh, next Sunday, Chris Taylor, who leads the church in The Hague, is going to come and preach. So he's going to be here next Sunday. And then we're going to get into a slightly different season where different ones of us are going to preach just out of passages that mean a lot to us. So there'll be a few different people up speaking, which is going to be great. But this is the final one uh, out of Galatians. You could obviously spend two or three years in Galatians. We've done it over a number of weeks, but I trust you found it helpful. I feel God's really used it amongst us. So it's a powerful letter. But we're going to read the first 10 verses of Galatians 6. And this is what it says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So it's interesting, isn't it? Have you noticed? Carry each other's burdens. Each one should carry their own load. So it's an interesting blend of we need to be part of something where we support one another. But also there's a sense of I need to take responsibility for my life in the midst of that as well. So the Bible is often a bit of both and. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Um, I don't know uh, what your work or your employment history is like, okay? I myself have had a number of different jobs, okay? I actually, when I was a student and around that age group, I had a number of pretty awful jobs, in fact, a number of jobs that no one else would ever want to do. So why don't you just turn to the next person next to you and just tell them, if you've had different kind of jobs, what kind of jobs you've had, okay? I'm just going to give you a moment, and uh, it might be a little bit interesting to see what jobs you've ever done, so. Thank you. 
Okay, come back to me. So, I have... I've had a number of different jobs at different times in my life. Filling in when I was a student, trying to make a little bit of extra money when I was a musician, all sorts of things. But when I was 16, the first proper job I ever had was working at a farm. So in the UK, when you're about 16, you finish your first set of exams, and then you have a bit of a longer holiday. And I remember we knew someone who owned a farm, and they basically said, oh, we'll give you some work for three or four weeks. So I did three weeks of working on a farm. I've never worked anywhere like this ever before. I'd just known school up until that point. So it was a bit of a shock to the system. We used to start at eight in the morning, finish at five, until it was harvest time when you would finish at whatever time. The first three weeks I ever worked on the farm, I spent three entire weeks, eight hours a day, sweeping one barn. That's what I did for three weeks. I swept out one barn for three weeks. So that kind of like did something in my... Now, when I worked there when I was 16, I worked there then every summer until I was about 21, 22, I used to go back. They were good enough to give me work every summer, even when I was a student. And, but when I first worked there, I was not much help. In fact, I, I basically tended to break things. So I didn't add much value. The people who worked there permanently looked to me like I was this useless kid who used to turn up and break things. I, I broke a number of things, including a tractor. That was one of my greatest moments where I actually managed to break an entire tractor. There's like the exhaust pipe that comes out the front of the tractor. Well, I drove under some trees thinking that it would brush aside and snap went the exhaust and broke part of the manifold, which I then had to phone the guy who managed the farm who was a man called William, who was like one of those kind of guys who looked, always looked angry. They used to turn up on Thursday. He used to turn up once a week on a Thursday morning to check out what was going on on the farm. He always, he'd turn up angry. Okay, that's how we turn up. Everybody was on edge when William showed up. So I had to ring William to tell him that I'd broken one of his tractors. And it was like, I remember telling him, and then I remember holding the phone like this. As he, <laughs> as he basically shouted down the phone at me about, you know, how I'd broken his tractor, and I had. Anyway, but one of the greatest compliments I ever got given working on a farm was when I was about 21. Uh, one of the guys who worked there was an older man called George. He came from the north of England, uh, from Yorkshire, no, from Lancashire, and George was very straight-talking. He would tell you basically what he thought of you all the time. And so when I was 16, he wasn't a fan of mine. But by the, by the time I was 21, I remember we got into a conversation. I said, how am I doing, George? And he said these words, I, you're mending. Which basically, in English, Lancaster terms means, yeah, you're better than you were. It's okay. So that was a huge compliment. But um, when you work on a farm, you see this cycle. You see this cycle of sowing. Well, you see this plowing, soaping, uh, sowing, just management, and eventually growth and then eventually harvest, and then plowing again. And you just see this annual cycle again and again of plowing, sowing, kind of managing the land, what seems fallow at times, eventually growth, and then some harvesting. And you just see it through the year. You never see sowing and immediately harvesting. You see this cycle. And it's interesting, Galatians 6, Paul uses an agricultural picture to describe often what happens in our lives in terms of growth, and change. So verse 7, he says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So he's using this picture. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not, therefore, become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not <laughs> give up. 
Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The message version puts it like this. Don't be misled. Remember, Paul has said to the Galatians all along, you have been misled. Right? So he's saying, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. In other words, there are no exemptions to this rule. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All we'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. So we're going to look at this principle of sowing and reaping. And Paul is basically saying to the Galatians, there is an unavoidable, undeniable, universal principle that plays out in everybody's lives, everybody's, no exceptions. In other words, you can't mock God, you can't get out of this is how it works. Whatever you sow, you will reap, is what it says. Which means two things fundamentally. You only reap what you've sown. Okay? So... If you ever grow, anybody got a garden who grows things? Okay. I suspect whatever you're growing is something that you've sown, right? So at the moment, I'm not really trying to grow anything other than some grass. Okay. <laughs> but I am putting grass seed down on our lawn because I'm English and we like lawns. So I'm trying to make the lawn look a little bit better. And the way I do that is by putting seed down, right? So I have to put grass seed down if I want grass. If you want to grow tomatoes, it's no good planting beans. If you're a farmer and you want to grow corn, you can't plant barley, right? In other words, you will only reap what you've sown, is what he's saying. The other thing is this, you will absolutely reap whatever you have sown, all right? So you only reap what you've sown, and, but there is an inevitable harvest or return of some sort. And Tim Keller puts it like this, it is not the reaping that determines the harvest, but the sowing. It's not the reaping that determines the harvest, but the sowing. In other words, and all of the letter of Galatians is about this, in order to walk free, to live a life that produces fruit, remember Galatians 5 is all about living a life that produces fruit. So he's saying to the Galatians, don't drift back into some kind of rule keeping. Don't try and become Jewish. That's not for you. Don't try and live to an external code. Rather... Be full of the Spirit because the Spirit of God will lead you into freedom and produce righteousness in, out in your lives. Well, in order to live, produce that righteousness in, out, to produce the fruit of the Spirit, he's saying, you need to sow to the Spirit. You need to sow the right things into your life, into your days, into your weeks, into your years. And it really matters because what you sow, you'll reap. And you cannot reap what you haven't sown. That's what he's saying. In a farm, you cannot reap what you haven't sown. But if you sow it, eventually you'll reap it. And Paul is saying, God can't be mocked. In other words, there are no exceptions. There's not a loophole. <laughs> we can't find our way around it. You will reap what you've sown, and you'll only reap what you have sown. So we want to talk about that. Now, I just want to give a slight caveat, though, at the start. 
Because when Paul is teaching on this, I don't think Paul is teaching some kind of biblical karma, if that makes sense. Okay? I don't think he's addressing the issue of like just unexpected suffering entering your life. You know, where suddenly out of nowhere we hit a storm and we hit illness or something like that. Okay? That's not to say that sometimes we don't encounter suffering because of the way we've lived our lives. You know, if I drink loads of alcohol every day, eventually that is going to damage my liver. So I will reap something that I've done to myself. Okay? So there is suffering that comes from the way we live our lives. But I don't think he is specifically talking about the issue of suffering. He's not saying that basically there's a kind of biblical version of karma, which means that when you have a difficult season in your life, Therefore, that's a sign of God punishing you and judging you. Okay? I, I think you have to be very careful when we talk like that. Sometimes in churches, I think loads of damage is done to people. I can think of situations I've been in where people have been said things because they're walking through a different period, a difficult period. Maybe they're working through illness. Maybe people have prayed for healing. Maybe they haven't been healed. And someone has made the comment, well, you haven't been healed because you don't have enough faith or because God's judging you. I'm like, oh, I just, I'm not very comfortable with that. I don't think, well, I'm, I'm pretty certain, that is not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about some biblical version of karma. You're reaping what you've sown in terms of suffering. I think what he's saying is, in terms of living out your life as a Christian, you have a huge part to play in terms of what kind of fruit you produce. Whether you produce much fruit or a little fruit, whether you experience a lot of life or not much life, you have a huge part to play. We have a huge choice as to how we invest our lives and these choices we make impact what we reap. So just as in the agricultural principle of sowing and reaping is woven into the fabric of creation, so woven into the fabric of our lives is this principle of sowing and reaping. And we see it in our own physical bodies, don't we? How we treat our bodies, how what we put into our bodies effectively, eventually affects what comes out of our bodies. I don't know if you've ever... Did you ever, anybody ever seen the documentary Super Size Me? Yes. Anybody else? Do you know what this is? This is about the guy, I think his name was uh, Morgan Spurlock. 2004, he did something called Super Size Me, where in America he decided to, to do, a, basically to do kind of like a little, a, a month-long kind of experiment on his own body where all he ate, three meals a day for 30 days, was McDonald's which was to test the impact of fast food on his body. And he made a documentary about it. I mean, it is fascinating and scary all at the same time. So he committed to only eat McDonald's three times a week, uh, three times a day for the whole month. Okay? Uh, if they offered to supersize his meal, he had to say yes. Yeah. And he had, to have some, he had to eat the entire menu in that month. Okay. Well, you do that to your body, it will have certain impacts. So basically, if you read about it, he gained 11 kgs in one month. He experienced 30%, 13% body mass increase, and it took him 14 months then to get rid of the weight that he'd gained in one month of just eating McDonald's. Okay, now I'm not particularly down on McDonald's, but I don't think eating McDonald's three days, three times a day for the entire month is good news. And I think he proved that and actually forced a degree of change in the fast food industry. But basically, you can see what you sow into your body, you reap in your body. Is what he, and we see that in our whole lives. And Paul is saying there is an undeniable principle that works in our spiritual and emotional health in our lives. That what we sow, 
we reap, how we invest our lives, what we give our attention to, who we give our attention to, what we give our time to, our talents, how we use our money, has a huge bearing on the kind of life we will reap, is what he's saying. How fruitful, in kingdom terms, our lives actually are. And this choice, this sowing and reaping principle, is consistent with everything he's spoken about in the whole letter. Yeah? Do I sow to the flesh, to the world, which Paul has said is a kind of self-salvation, as in do I pursue just what I want, hoping if I do those things, somehow it will give me the contentment and the satisfaction that my soul craves? That is a type of self-salvation. Or do I surrender to Jesus, surrender my life to him, and allow his life to invade mine? So he said, you either invest in the flesh and invest in the world and the world's passions, or you invest in the kingdom and you sow to the spirit and invest your life in the kingdom's passions, priorities, and values. And he's saying, whichever way you go on that, both will come with a return. There is an inevitable harvest and return. So in other words, Paul is saying in this passage, there's a warning and a promise. Okay? There's a warning and a promise. The warning is this. If you sow to the flesh, he's saying eventually you reap destruction. That word can also mean corruption or disintegration. Uh, Tom Wright um, puts it like this. Uh, in, if they sow to the flesh, spending their resources on the numerous pleasures of ordinary life, then all they will have to show for it will be the corruption and decay to which everything in the world is ultimately subject. Fine houses fall down, splendid clothes wear out, the ministry of the word builds up people in communities, and the life then they then have will be gloriously outlast death itself. So you either sow to the flesh, and he's saying if you sow to the flesh, eventually you just reap corruption. That word disintegration is a good word to describe what happens in our hearts when we sin. Basically, when we sin, we are breaking something within us. Something is falling apart within us. John Ortberg, who wrote a brilliant book called Soul Keeping. Anybody ever read the book Soul Keeping? Okay, Soul Keeping. That's a good book to read. If you want to read something over the summer, I would recommend that book. talks about the impact of sin in our hearts and how it basically disintegrates us on the inside. It's a sort of form of inner disintegration. Because when we start to sin, we're not living according to how we're made. We're not living according to what God's called us into. We live conflicted and divided lives because we're kind of, we're living in, we're kind of giving, dabbling over here, but I'm a Christian and we're living in a very conflicted way. We are experiencing, if you like, a degree of disintegration. So sin, sowing into the flesh, leads you, the Bible says, into a form of disintegration and corruption. In other words, it never delivers as advertised. Yeah? We sow to the flesh because it appears shiny. It's what the world does. We give in to all sorts of stuff because we think it's going to give us something that we really want. There's, so mon- there's something momentary about it. But actually, it brings you, in the end, it just leads you into corruption and disintegration. So there's a warning in here. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap something you really don't want. But there's also a promise. It says this, but if we sow to the Spirit, if we follow him, If we invest in the kingdom, the promise of scripture is not disintegration, but life. Paul is saying there is wholeness and healing. Jesus says, doesn't he, in John, I have come that they may have life and life in all 
its fullness. Now, ultimately, that life leads to eternal life, life in heaven, but it also means life now. If you're a believer now, you have stepped in something of that age to come has broken into your life right now, and you experience some of his kingdom life right now. So, as we finish this series, here's the question. The question is this, how do we sow to the Spirit? Because it's one of those phrases that we kind of go, yeah, I kind of think I know what that means, but I don't know what that means. What do, I, what do I do with that? How do, how do I live our life sowing to the Spirit? What does it mean? Well, in big picture terms, I think what it means is I live a life consistently where I am opening myself up to the Holy Spirit's influence in my life. So I am living a life where I am consistently, day by day, opening myself to the Spirit's influence in my life. And that's what sowing to the spirit means i allow him access okay and how much access the holy spirit has to my life and my heart is influenced by probably hundreds and thousands of small decisions <coughs> lots of big ones as well right which we'll talk about in a moment but mostly lots of very small ones things as ordinary as this i would argue what time do i go to bed what time I go to bed <laughs> has a huge impact on how open I am to the Spirit's influence in my life. Because it has a huge impact on how I start the next day. So things like, what time I go to bed? How much TV I watch? What I watch on TV? What I eat? Whether I exercise or not? What I read? How much I read? And so on and so on. Lots of little decisions that might not sound very spiritual, but actually have a huge impact on how much I open my life to the Holy Spirit. So let me give you an example from my own life, right? This might sound like a silly one to you, but probably you can relate to it. I don't know how many of you have a mobile phone that you keep next to your bed, right? I have found that having a mobile phone next to my bed is not good news. I don't know if anybody else can relate to this. Because when I'm lazy, which basically means often when I'm going to bed and when I wake up in the morning, I find the mobile phone is hugely tempting to flick through and to waste a lot of time looking at stuff which isn't necessarily that helpful or necessarily that great a use of my time. I'm not talking about things which are overtly sinful. I'm just talking about huge, which are a huge distraction. So I, just, I realized this is not helpful, okay? It's not helpful to use it as an excuse that it's my alarm clock because what I discovered is there are things called alarm clocks. <laughs> Before the mobile phone was invented, there were things called clocks which had alarms. So it was a poor excuse on my behalf to go, I need it as an alarm clock. Because I don't need it as an alarm clock. What I need as an alarm clock is an alarm clock. And I find the alarm clock far less of a distraction than a mobile phone. So generally, not exclusively, generally, I do not have my mobile phone next to my bed. Because when I go to bed, what I really want to do is I want to process the day. I want to read something helpful. When I wake up in the morning, I don't want to touch that phone. I'm not down on phones. I think it's all about how we manage phones. But how I manage that thing has a huge impact on how open I am to the Holy Spirit's work in my life. It's because it's holistic. My life is holistic. It's not like here's the spiritual bit and here's the physical bit. The whole thing is spiritual, right? So a very small decision that I made was I'm going to buy an alarm clock. And I'm going to have a charger for my phone, which is not in our bedroom. Because I think if I get it out of our bedroom, I am far more open 
to giving myself to the things which really matter to me. I have, this is not a prophetic word as to whether you have a mobile phone next to your bed or not, but maybe think carefully about whether it's helpful to you. So lots of little decisions have a huge impact, but there are bigger areas as well that have a massive impact on whether I'm open to the Spirit's influence, whether I'm sowing into the Spirit. One of them is around the issue of time. You've heard me say this before if you've been around at all, that who and what you give your time to has a huge impact on the kind of person you grow into being. Huge impact, okay? And you're the only one who has the power to decide. So often we think of things that we would like to do that would be good for us, but the phrase we use is, I would love to do that, but I don't have enough time. Is that true? No, it's not true. Ultimately, it's not true. You do have enough time. It's just that we are choosing to give our time to other things. No one, as far as I know, is holding a gun to your head telling you you have to do all these things. In some sense, we are choosing to do those things. Sometimes for financial reasons, sometimes for other reasons, we are choosing a certain type of lifestyle, which means that we give our time here, and the truth is we're choosing something. Well, what I give my time to and who I give my time to has a huge impact on the kind of, where am I sowing, in other words? Now, this is not supposed to be like a kind of like anything meant to make you feel bad. I just know this is a massive challenge in my own life. So... What, who do I give my time to? Do I have time? Yes, for reading, praying the Bible, those things. Absolutely, those are key things. But also, do I have time for friendship? This is a massive issue for men as they get older, particularly, I would say. Not exclusively, but particularly for men. Do I have time for friendship? Do I have time for fellowship, for recreation, for space to think, pray, read, process, to actively try and listen to what the Spirit is saying to me? Again, a little example, which might seem a bit silly, but actually was quite significant for me. Yesterday morning, so Sarah's away. Yesterday morning, I go for a walk. We have a dog. As some of you know, some of you met our dog. I took her for a walk yesterday morning, and I walked her up to the supermarket. I bought a coffee, and I bought a croissant, because I was feeling like I've been for a run. It's fine. I can have a croissant. So I, I go for a walk, and as I'm walking, I'm not looking at my phone, by the way. As I'm walking, I start to think about my life. I start to kind of, kind of think about process we've got about my life. And as I'm doing that, in that kind of just open space and time in my I start to feel gratitude again. I start to feel a little bit of joy bubbling up again. Do you know, do you know those experiences? In, because I gave some space to something. Just a little thing like a walk, grabbing a coffee, walking with the dog, and because I'm just, okay, God, I'm just thinking about what you've done and what you are doing and, and how good you've been to us. And even through the challenges, I start the joy and the hope and the gratitude, even amongst some of the challenges, starts to bubble up again. I don't experience that unless I give some space to that. And I don't give space to that unless I have some margin in my life. So what do we give our time to? Because what you give your time to has a huge impact on where you sow. And what you sow has a huge impact on what we reap, right? That's what Paul says in Galatians 6. Other big decisions. What do you give your talents and your gifts to? Clearly the Bible teaches that God has given abilities and talents to everybody. But clearly the Bible teaches they're not simply for you. They're always, you're always meant to be a conduit. 
Yeah? It's never meant to end with you. So what God has given you financially, but also in terms of talents, are never meant just for you. They are always meant to be a form of blessing to others, particularly within the body. Not just, but particularly. So do you share what God's given you, or are you hoarding what he's given you? Or are you just not investing it at all? Yeah? Are you just not, you just, it's just dormant somewhere. Why is it dormant? Are you sowing into the kingdom or simply consumed elsewhere? It also has, and I know this is always a bit of a touchy subject in church, but this is what it says in Galatians, it also has quite a lot to do with money and finance. Because part of this passage is to do with money. Okay, verse 6, he says this, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Okay, that passage, pretty much all the commentators will tell you, is when it talks about sharing, it's talking about in the context of fellowship. All good things is pretty much always translated as a reference to including finance. In other words, he's writing to Christians going, if you're in a church, if you're a Christian, if you're in connection and fellowship, part of your responsibility is share the finances God has given you. Okay? It's part of the call on a Christian. So, in other words, Paul says, part of sowing to the Spirit is financially sowing into the kingdom. It's not a compartment of your life that you could go, no, no, that one's mine. We like to do that. No, I want to keep control of that one. I'll choose. Thank you very much. Actually, what Paul says is, no, a key part of sowing into the spirit is what you do financially with your money. So here's the choice again. The choice is whether I sow into the kingdom or I sow into the world. Because you're sowing one way or the other with your money. Right? We either keep all our money and sow it into the world and there's nothing wrong with buying some stuff or going on holiday. Okay, we're not into aestheticism. Sarah and I have just had a holiday in Croatia. Okay, so that's great. Okay, but there is a biblical principle about giving back to God what he's given to us. Okay, and you can, we've not got time to get into it today. But Paul is saying, where you sow and invest your money has a huge impact on the kind of life you're going to live. Now, the thing is, often in churches... We think churches will talk about money because they need our money, right? So often we don't like it because they're talking about it because they need our money and they want our money. The truth is sometimes churches do talk about money because they need your money. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) It does cost money to run churches. But actually, in Galatians 6, this is not about you giving money because the church needs your money. This is about you and me giving money because we need to give money. If we're concerned about our lives and the spiritual health of our lives, and the trajectory of our lives, and what we're going to reap in our own lives, part of the gift to you is to give. So this is not about, I need to do the church a favour and give them some money. This is about, I need to do myself a favour and give some money. Paul is saying, part of reaping a life, eternal life, and a life full of the spirit and the fruit, part of that is giving financially. Now, we may not like that, but you can take it up with Paul if you don't like it, because it's clearly in Galatians 6 that part of our sowing is financial. Why is the finance thing such a big deal? Because, I would argue, because the money issue is such a competitor for the affections of our heart. 
Jesus picks out money as probably the biggest threat to the affections of your heart. Right? That's why in Luke 12 he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what you give to, your heart will follow. That's funny, isn't it? Where, where you put your money, it impacts your heart. So often we're thinking, no, no, I need to wait for my heart to feel like I want to give and then I'll give. But actually what he's saying is, it's not just like that. It's, it works both ways. As I give, it unlocks my heart to go there as well. So when I give money, and I'm going to tell you in a moment what Sarah and I do, just as a way of being transparent, and I have checked with her, just to, not to say that you have to do what we do, but I'm just going to give you an example. When we give money, it's like saying, okay, God, I trust you. I can give this amount of money away. Let's say I give 100 euros. I can give 100 euros away, and I'm trusting that that 100 euros, you will look after me, even though I've given it away. Because I want to keep it because I trust money sometimes more than I trust you. Because if I have money, I feel like I have security. It basically becomes an idol in my heart. I'm investing a degree of value in it, which it doesn't actually have. But the world tells you all the time it does. Have enough money, you will have security, and you'll have joy, by the way. Actually, Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's just a little thing. Give it appropriately, proportionally. Trust me. It's like, as I give, I'm going through detox. (laughs) That's what's happening. We're all a bit of an addict, and we are giving away each time to get detoxed from our dependency on money. And Jesus says, where you put your treasure, that's where your heart's going to go. If you don't give financially into the kingdom, you are giving into the world. So where do you want to sow? Do you want to sow into something which is decayed and corrupting, looks shiny, but actually is just decaying? Or do you want to give into something which is eternal and that reaps a harvest in your own heart? Because that is what Galatians 6 is saying. It's not for the church's benefit. God doesn't need your money. It's for my benefit that I give because my heart needs to do it. So I guess the question is, if you don't give financially, the question is why? What is that about in your heart? Question it. So as we close, I want to just say a couple more things and I'm going to close. This is what Sarah and I do financially. Different people do this differently. I've checked with her that she's okay for me to share this and I'm not saying you have to do this because the Old Testament is clear about tithing. The New Testament doesn't talk about that. It talks about the principle of generosity. But I would argue, probably, that the New Testament is often <laughs> surpasses the Old Testament in pretty much every way. Okay? So you can read into that what you will. But this is what we do. Sarah and I will give away at least 10% of our income. And I mean before tax income. Okay? Firstly, to the church. There have been periods in our lives when we've given more than that. Back in London, at times, we double tithed. I'm not saying that to impress anybody. It was just something we felt God speak to us about. We once had a, a, a sum of money that we'd saved. We called it the Adventure Fund. It was to take our kids away on an adventure. And I felt God say to me, give that whole thing away. I was like, I'd like to listen to a different voice, please. But I just knew God had spoken to me. And I felt God say to me, if you give that away, I'll take your kids on more adventures than you can ever take them on. So we gave it away. We were doing a building project in the church. We gave it away. And 
And then we went through this remarkable season of financial provision. Now, it doesn't always work like that. God is not a slot machine. Put the money in, get it back. We're not into prosperity theology. Okay? But I do think there is a biblical principle that you cannot outgive him. So this is about being appropriately generous with our money, percentage-wise. So we will give at least 10%. We then have another pot of money that we just set aside every month just to give to whoever we feel that we want to give to that we do not consider ours, okay? Now, I'm not saying you have to do what we do, but I wanna challenge you, if you don't give financially, what is that saying about your heart? What is it saying about what, who you trust and what you trust? Because it seems to me that Galatians 6 is saying, sow into the kingdom and you will reap a harvest, okay? Here's the last thing, and then we're gonna close. Harvest takes time you don't sow and reap immediately right no one does that there's no microwave harvest there's no drive through harvest it doesn't you don't get it like that okay so the picture of sowing and reaping involves waiting and in our lives sometimes we have to wait a long time to see things. Sometimes maybe we will never see the full harvest. It might be in eternity we understand what God was doing. But the principle is clear. You sow and you trust and you wait. And one day you'll experience a harvest. That's a good picture for those of us who are parents. You have to keep sowing, keep sowing, keep waiting, keep waiting. That's why he then goes on to say this. Don't give up then doing good. Why did he say don't give up? Because they are feeling like what? Giving up. Why are they feeling like giving up? Because they're not seeing the harvest they hope for. Paul's not going to write to anyone saying, don't give up, if they weren't feeling like giving up. So clearly, you don't have the theological degree to work this one out. Clearly, they were feeling potentially discouraged because they weren't seeing everything they'd hoped for. They felt that God promised. But Paul's going, no, 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 keep going. Keep trusting, keep sowing, keep sowing, keep waiting, keep watering, keep sowing. And eventually, there will be a harvest. It will come. So sow, and you will reap. I think I'm going to close there. Let's stand together, and we're going to pray.